Well, if you do have a Bible with you, please turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, to Proverbs chapter 4. And as you'll see on your sheet, the title and our subject uh, this morning is The Battle for the Soul. The Battle for the Soul. If I was to ask you this morning, what would you name as the top ten battles in history? I wonder what you would say, what you would include in that list. Perhaps the Battle of Hastings, 1066. Perhaps Waterloo in 1815. I guess a lot depends on where you're from, on your nationality or uh, where you perhaps affiliate or associate with. Some perhaps might suggest the Siege of Stalingrad. Looking around this morning, some of you might include Gettysburg, or the Battle of the Little Big Horn. I guess uh, a lot depends upon where you're from. If you're from the other side of the border, it'd be the Battle of Bannockburn, I'm sure. Of course, battles, of course, play such a key part in human history. But when Solomon was king, when he was the ruler over the land of Israel, we're told that his reign was a reign of great peace and prosperity. Of course, it was in great contrast to his father David. You remember how David had so many battles to fight and he had so many enemies to conquer. But the reign of Solomon was a reign when there were few battles and very few conflicts. Solomon didn't have to engage in great military campaigns. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we're given a description of his reign. It's a wonderful description. 1 Kings 4 verses 24 and 25 tells us that he had peace on all sides round about him and Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had a time of great and unparalleled peace, but while they were days of unparalleled peace, And while Solomon never had to fight and pursue any great military campaigns, there was one battle that Solomon did have to fight. And it was a battle that he sadly, of course, lost for a large part of his life. And we were thinking about this a number of weeks ago. And that, of course, was the battle for his heart. The battle for his heart. In 1 Kings chapter 11, it tells us that Solomon had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. And I think that's the reason why Solomon wrote these words that we have in front of us this morning in Proverbs chapter 4. You notice what it says here in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence. You see, Solomon, having looked at his own life, having looked at his own failures, he turns to his son and he gives this wonderful advice. Keep thy heart, he says, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, the language that Solomon is using here is military language. That word keep there in verse 23, it means literally to guard or to garrison It means to place a guard around your heart. It has this sense of providing military protection. And the picture that Solomon is drawing for us here is of a great castle. 
It's a castle with walls and towers and turrets. And this great castle needs protection because it's under siege. There needs to be sentinels placed on top of the walls. There needs to be watchmen who are looking out, ready to blow the trumpet when danger comes. There needs to be, as it were, a garrison of soldiers around this this castle who are ready to fight because there is this battle that needs to be engaged in. Solomon says here, look, if the castle is left unwatched, if it's left unprotected, if it's left unkept, it will fall. So Solomon exhorts us in this verse to guard, to garrison our hearts because there's a battle for our souls. And so this morning, I want, over the last few minutes that we have, I want us to look at this verse and to consider this subject of the battle for the soul. And as we do so, I want to notice a number of things with you about this battle. And the first thing is that this is a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. Now you notice the first thing that Solomon says here. He says, keep thy heart. Keep thy heart. And of course the heart in scripture, as we noted before on other occasions, is not speaking about that physical organ inside of us that pumps the blood around our bodies. Now the heart in scripture speaks of that spiritual part of us, the immaterial part of us, the inner man. It's speaking of our souls. And, of course, the soul has various properties. We think of our consciences and our affections, our understanding, our minds, our memories. That's all included within the heart, within the soul. And so when Solomon says here, guard or garrison or keep thy heart, he's speaking of the soul. He says to us we're to keep and guard our souls. And he's reminding us here that this battle that he's referring to here is not a physical battle which requires physical weapons, but it's a spiritual battle. We read that passage just a few minutes ago from Ephesians chapter 6, and there Paul reminds the people that the fight that they were in was not a physical fight. He says, for we wrestle not against, against flesh and blood." It would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if it was a fight against flesh and blood. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And Christians, this morning, we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again, don't we, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. The biggest problem that we face as Christians and the biggest problem that we face as a church is not something physical. It's not coronavirus. It's not the governments. It's not anything that is physical in this world, but it's it's spiritual. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we keeping our hearts? It's a spiritual fight. Solomon says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Secondly, notice, though, not only is it a spiritual battle, but it's a vital battle. It's a vital battle. Solomon says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The physical heart is very important, isn't it, to our physical bodies. The heart, of course, pumps the blood around our body. It takes oxygen to all the other organs And we could say that a healthy heart, of course, is vital to a healthy body. 
And Solomon says and draws our attention to the fact here that a healthy soul is vital for a healthy spiritual life. He says our, our souls, our hearts, our inner man is of such importance because out of it flow all the issues of life. It's, the heart is like a great spring. It's like a great prolific fountain. All actions of life flow from this spring. It's the center of our whole spiritual being. In a sense, it's like the great wheel from which all the other wheels begin turning. And we might say that if the heart is wrong, then we're wrong everywhere. Someone once said it, put it like this, that the heart of the matter is the heart. And that's true. John Flavel, the Puritan, wrote a, a whole treatise on this one verse. And if you are able to read it, it's well worth reading. It's not particularly long and he's very readable on keeping your heart. But he says this, that the state of the whole body, he's talking of the physical body, the state of the whole body depends upon the soundness and the vigor of the physical heart. But then he says this, and the everlasting state of the whole man upon the good or ill condition of the soul. You see, our souls are the most important part of us. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us that a man, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Remember what Christ said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. You see, a good heart brings glory to God. And we need to make this distinction because there are, of course, two kinds of hearts. Before me this morning, you're either one or the other of these kinds of hearts. There are hearts that are evil, hearts that are given over to sin, hearts that are ruled by Satan. That is the natural heart, the heart of the unregenerate man. You remember what Jeremiah said, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's describing the unregenerate man. Remember right back in the days of Noah, the Lord looked out across the world and he looked at men and he looked at their hearts and he saw right into man's heart and it says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And of course such a heart needs to be utterly transformed and, and made anew. It needs to be completely renovated. If we're to use the image of the castle again, boys and girls, you, you like castles and going to visit castles and you see a great castle with you know, its turrets and its walls, but this heart, this castle, is like a castle that's just been ruined and ransacked. All the walls are falling down. It's in disrepair and ruin. There's, there's ivy growing up all over the walls. There's no windows. The gates into, the, into this, this castle have been completely burned to the ground. That's like the heart of the unregenerate man. But you see, when Christ comes into the soul, when a man or woman repents of their sin and they, and they come and they trust in the Saviour, his glorious work of grace begins in the hearts. And then the castle begins to be gloriously renovated and repaired and restored. You see, what was once dilapidated in, in an utter disrepair and, and falling down is wonderfully transformed. The walls are built up again, you know, the, the dry rot is removed, everything's taken out, windows are put back in, the gates are put back up. It's wonderfully transformed. 
The great standard of the King of Kings begins to flow once more in the breeze from the turret of the castle. You see, because Christ is now in residence in the hearts. And this direction of Solomon to keep the heart here and to guard the heart, it applies to those who who have that work of grace already begun. Who know what it is to have Christ dwelling within. And let me just pause here this morning and ask, which one of the two describes you? Are you like the castle that is in disrepair and is falling down and, and Satan has just come in? Or are you like the castle that's being gloriously transformed by the grace of Christ? You see, those of you here who are Christians, Solomon says to you, look, now that this wonderful transformation has taken place, now that the castle's been renovated, keep your hearts. Guard it. Garrison your hearts. Again, we can just pause here and ask a question. This is the most vital thing that we must do, guard and keep our hearts. Let me ask you, this week, you may have a list of jobs to do this week. What's number one? What's top of your list to do this week? You know, if you could arrange all the things that you've got to do in order of priority, what would, be, what would rank as number one? Is it keeping your hearts? Solomon says to to us here, look, the number one thing that we need to do as God's people, the number one thing we need to do every day is to keep and to garrison our hearts. Why? Because out of it flow all the issues of life. We've seen then that this battle is a spiritual battle. We've seen it's a vital battle. But notice that it's a difficult battle. It's a difficult battle. You know, friends, keeping our hearts is hard, isn't it? It's perhaps the hardest duty of all. Lots of people are very good at keeping all sorts of things, aren't they? Good at keeping their gardens. Others are good at keeping and watching over their businesses. People, of course, do all sorts of things to protect and to guard their homes. You know, when I was living in Canada, I had a a friend who was retired from the Hong Kong police. And he lived in this mansion. It was an absolute massive mansion, but he had a, it was like five mansions within a gated community. And he was in charge of this gated community of which one of his houses was his. And as you went up to this gated community, it had a huge gate and iron bars around it. You had to have thumbprint recognition to get through the first set of gates And as you drove down towards all these mansions, there was cameras, you know, up the sweeping lawns and drives and so on. There was just security everywhere. He was great at keeping his house. And of course today, you know, there's all sorts of HD recognition doorbells, isn't there? And all these sorts of things. Cameras on your house to protect your house and guard your house. And people can be very skillful at keeping all sorts of things but the keeping of our hearts is very different. Solomon stresses this in this verse. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it reads like this, keep thy heart with all keeping. He says, look, keep and keep again your heart. Solomon says, look, believer, double guard your soul. Don't just place one garrison to keep watch over it. Keep two. 
And the expression here is emphatic. Keep, keep, keep your heart, believer. He says, look, above keeping your gardens, above keeping your homes, keep your hearts. And when you do, when you kept your heart, keep it with all keeping. You see, Solomon is stressing to us that we need to keep our hearts because keeping our hearts is difficult. And perhaps we ask the question, why is it so hard to keep our hearts? Why is it that we find this duty so hard to follow? I think we could answer that in two, two ways. And the first is because of Satan. Satan is our great enemy, isn't he? The Christian has a formidable foe. We're constantly at war with the devil. He is strong. He is subtle. He is deceptive. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, the wiles of the devil. He is wily. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's described as the prince of this world and he can turn himself and transform himself into an angel of light. He's armed. He's our adversary. Remember what we're told in the New Testament that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And believe it, he wants to destroy you. And he will use every dirty trick, he will use every tactic that he's got, every snare that he can think of to ruin and destroy your souls. And Christian, this morning we should never, never, never underestimate Satan. And so the first reason we might say why it's so difficult is Satan, but the second is sin, indwelling sin. You go back to the, the castle analogy just for a moment. Here's the castle. It's been wonderfully transformed and renovated by the, by the glorious grace of God. Yes, but there's still ongoing projects within the castle. Grace has transformed so much within this castle. It's, it's wonderfully restored so much, but there's, there's still repair work and maintenance work that needs to go on. There's still the odd area of dry rot. There's still the odd broken tile on the roof that needs repairing. There's still a bit of damp in the cellar. That's the picture of indwelling sin within the believer. We all have sin that's still deep within us. We're new creatures in Christ, yes, and we rejoice that old things have passed away and behold, all things are become new. But there are still times, aren't there, when we cry out like Paul, O wretched man that I am. Why? Well, because with the mind we serve the law of God, yes, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We have new hearts, yes, we have new desires, we have this new principle within us, yes, but the marks of the old man are still there. But here's the wonderful thing that God, the Holy Spirit, is working in us, isn't he, daily, carrying out these works of repair and renovation, reforming us, sanctifying us by his grace. And this is why Solomon says to us, keep your heart with all keeping. Satan and sin, they, they fight against us. So we need to guard and double guard our hearts. I think, believer, when we realize the enemy that we have and we realize the unstable nature of our hearts, the only conclusion that we must come to at this point is our great need to pray. We need to pray earnestly to God, don't we, for his help for his grace and for his strength to, to help us to guard our hearts. Remember what Paul said there at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, that passage that we just read from. At the end of the great list of the armour of God, 
He says this in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer. You see, once you've put on the whole armour of God, what's the last thing that you need to do? What's what's the last thing that you, you need is to pray. There's a, actually a wonderful similarity between that verse in Ephesians 6 and verse 18 in our text this morning. He says, look, you're to be praying with all prayers. In other words, look, if you're to keep our hearts with all keeping, we need to be praying with all prayer. Remember, if you go back a few chapters in Ephesians, you'll find that he prayed that he would be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That's what we need to pray, that we would be strengthened by might in the inner man, in the soul. Remember then he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Friends, there's another, there's another key to winning the battle. It's not only supplication, but it's to fill your hearts with Christ. May Christ dwell in our hearts. You see, if we want to win this battle, we need to fill our hearts more and more with Christ. Dwell upon him. Think of him. Think of his sacrificial death at Calvary. Think of his atoning work there. Think of his death and his resurrection. Think of his love. His love in coming into this world for you as a needy sinner. You see, friends, if we want to win this battle, we need to fill our hearts with Christ. Carefully study him, love him, ponder on him. If you wish to keep your heart, fill it with the Saviour. Well, we've seen then these various things that we've seen it's a spiritual battle, we've seen it's a vital battle, we've seen it's a difficult battle, but notice uh, the next point that we need to think of, and that's the various fronts that we fight this battle on. A war, of course, may have a, a number of different places where, it, where the fighting is taking place. There may be a number of places where the enemy is, is engaging us and will seek to attack. And the same is, is true for our hearts, isn't it? And notice what Solomon says here in verses 24 to 27. He lists three things, three places, three fronts where we fight this battle on. And the first of these is there in verse 24, and it's the tongue. It's with the tongue. He says, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. This is the first place we need to fight and and keep our hearts is with our tongues. And of course, the book of James has much to say to us about our tongues. Our tongues, of course, he describes as a fire, a world of iniquity. He says it's like the rudder of a ship. It's very small compared to the size of the ship. You've seen that ship that's blocking the, the, the canal. In it. It's a massive thing. But it's got a very small rudder in comparison to the ship. And our tongues are like that rudder. It turns the whole vessel. The tongue, of course, he tells us, cannot be tamed. It's an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. And of course, if we've had a half an eye on the news in recent months, just a few words can cause all sorts of problems, can't they? Just one interview, one comment on TV, and all sorts of things can happen. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. And Solomon says that this is one of the areas we need to fight this battle. It's with our lips, it's with our tongues. We need to put away from ourselves a throwed mouth. And perverse lips, you see, crookedness, wicked talk, sinful speech. 
We need to throw it away. Let me ask you, what kind of words come out of your mouth? Are they bitter words? Hurtful words? Spiteful words? Untruthful words? Lying words? Words of envy or hatred or pride? Are you someone who likes to tell an unclean joke? Do you use your tongue to speak of sinful things? Are you somebody who likes to twist the truth? You see, friends, instead, as followers of Christ, our speech should always be seasoned, shouldn't it? should always be with grace, Paul says, seasoned with salt. We can instead, you know, we can use our tongues for so much good. We could use them for words of truth, words of encouragement, words of love, words of instruction, words of comfort. Remember what Solomon says later on in the book of Proverbs, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. But the second front that Solomon speaks of here is in verse 25. It's not only with the tongue, but it's with the eyes. Notice what he says there in verse 25. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. I want to just say, I think this is perhaps the place where we fight today this battle of keeping our heart the most on is with our eyes. We live today, don't we, in an age where there are so many things for our eyes to watch and to see, with the internet, with phones where we can play all sorts of things, with video streaming networks and so on. There's so much that we can fill our eyes with. And particularly young people, we need to guard our eyes and what we look at. There's so much, isn't there, with all the media platforms and YouTube and Netflix and so on. We have to be so careful what we look at with our eyes. And let me ask you, what do you watch on your TVs? What is it that you look at on your phones? What websites do you go on? Would, we, would you be ashamed this morning if, if others could see all the things that you've looked at over this past week? Remember what Hagar said in Genesis. She said, Thou, God, seest me. How much less rubbish and filth and wickedness would we turn our eyes to if we put it through that sieve all the time that God was watching everything that we watch? You remember how, many so, how so many examples there are in Scripture of people who sinned through what they looked at. You remember Eve, right back there in Genesis 3, she saw and then she sinned. Lot's wife became a pillar of salt because she looked behind her instead of looking forwards. David lusted of his eyes, didn't he? And it brought years of woe to his family. Achan's eyes were filled with covetousness and then he was stoned. Friends, do we see the seriousness of this to our spiritual well-being? And of course, this may mean that for our spiritual health, we need to get rid of some things in our lives. It may be that we need to cancel our Netflix subscription. It may be that we need to stop going on the internet or get rid of our TVs or whatever it may be. If it's for the good of your soul, do it. Remember what Christ said, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Why? Because it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hellfire. Now you see, like Job, we need to make a covenant with our eyes. We need to keep our eyes looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
Remember what Paul said? Paul used the imagery of a runner, didn't he? Looking forward, running on. He said this, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But there's a third area that we fight this battle on, and that's with our feet. Notice what he says there in verses 26 and 27. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. You know, believer, every step that we make in this life, whether it's big, whether it's small, every step should be carefully pondered. We're to walk circumspectly, aren't we? We're to look, be looking around us as we take our steps in this world. Not as fools, Paul says, but as wise. One commentator put it like this, the best time to ponder any path is not at the end of the path. It's not even at the middle of the path, but at the beginning. And so friends, every step that we take in this life, whether it's deciding where it is that we should work, where it is that we should move to, who it is that we should marry, the church that we should attend, every step that we should take, no matter how big or small, needs to be thought about and pondered about because it all has a bearing on the destiny of our immortal soul. Believer, we should not dare to take one step without knowing that God is by our sides. And I think when we stop and we think about these three areas, we need to remind ourselves, don't we, that in all these areas, our Saviour never sinned, did he? When you think about the fronts of this battle, the eyes and the feet and the tongue and so on, doesn't it remind us that our Saviour was perfect in every step? There was no guile in his mouth. His eyes were pure. He never once looked at evil. Every step he took was established and ordered even as he was walking up that hill of Calvary. His feet, of course, were pierced. Christ pondered all these things. You know, believer, we should praise God that we have a saviour who never once sinned, but he kept his heart in all these areas. Well, lastly, this morning, notice with me the key to winning this battle. We've seen that this battle is a spiritual battle. We've seen it's a vital battle. We've seen that this, this battle is a difficult battle. And we've seen how we, where we're to fight this battle on. But how are we to win this battle? Well, the key is in those verses before our verse. Verses 20 to 22. He says, My son, attend to my words. You see, not only do we need to supplicate, not only do we need the Saviour in our hearts, but we need the Scriptures. Solomon says the key to winning this battle is the Word of God. My time has gone this morning, but you notice how Solomon tells us three things there we're to do with the Word of God. We're to listen to the Word of God. He says, incline thine ear unto my sayings. We're to listen to the word of God. And you know, believer, we should be constantly listening and listening to the word of God. Put yourself under the best preaching. Listen to the best sermons. Listen to the word of God. And then he says, we're to look at the word of God. Let them not depart from thine eyes. 
How often do you read the scriptures? How often do you ponder on the word of God? And then he says, not only are we to listen to the word of God and to look at the word of God, but we're to love the word of God. He tells them to keep them in the midst of thine heart. Remember what the scripture says, the psalmist says, he says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And friends, if we want to have success in the daily fight against Satan, we need to read God's word, we need to love God's word, we need to hide God's word in our hearts. We need to treasure it, memorize it, ponder on it, bind it as frontlets between our eyes. Just on a very practical note, but perhaps I can recommend a website we've been talking about things to look at. Well, it's, there are good things on the internet to look at, and one of them is a a website called learnscripture.net and it's mainly set up for children but it's very helpful in learning God's words. You know, it used to be a, a much more common thing to memorize God's words. Set yourself a target, set yourself a verse a week to learn and as you learn it you, and as you ponder on it, as you think about it, it will enrich your soul and it will protect your soul. It's, it's guarding your hearts. You know, it used to be a thing as well, didn't it? It used to go into people's houses. You don't see it so much today. It used to go into Christian homes, and the Christian home used to be full of texts everywhere. I remember a home I went to as a child, and, and you know, everywhere you went, the bathroom had texts on the mirror, and every mantel, you know, the mantelpiece was just strewn with texts. And I remember this house in particular because above the clock it said, it is time to seek the Lord. Every time you turned to look, look at the clock, you were reminded of Scripture. And friends, we should be filling our hearts with the word of God so that we might not sin against him. Remember what Paul said in Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Let it dwell richly, plentifully, in abundance, in your heart. Furnish your heart with the word of God. Plant it in your memories, plant it in your minds, plant it in your understanding. Solomon says here, my son, attend to my words, learn from my mistakes, my son, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all the flesh. Well, may this be true of us this morning. May we in this battle be more than conquerors through him that loved us. And may we seek to keep our hearts, keep them, keep them, keeping them with all diligence. May we do so to the praise and the glory of God.